that's for me, that's just not my thing. And what I found is most of my clients like these other industries where we play, it's home and property services. It's been a huge hit the last couple of years, all the niches within that $600 billion market, you know, home, you know, health and wellness, fitness, automotive, anything related to kids, pets, the aging population, you know, people are always going to spend money on their health, their homes or kids. Welcome to the Prosperity Perspective by DML, a conversation about how successful business owners invest their hard-earned money to preserve their wealth and what they might have done differently in hindsight. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Today, we are joined by John Austinson, and we're excited for him to share a little bit about his background uh, in the franchise world. And so without uh, further ado, John, you mind introducing yourself to the audience? Yeah, absolutely. John Austinson, based here in Atlanta, Georgia, and Absolutely love what I do. I, I get to introduce those that are looking to invest um, and diversify their holdings, current business owners, as well as those looking to leave the corporate world and uh, get to introduce them to a world of um, opportunities and what I call non-food franchising. So a little bit of background on me, I uh, spent most of my career in the corporate world, really moved into franchising about six years ago as the president of Shelf Genie Franchise System. So had the opportunity to sit on that side of the table, supporting all of our franchisees across North America. Um, it, for me, it was really an eye-opening experience. And so long story short, partnered with the founder and uh, we've invested in franchises ourselves now as franchisees. Um, and I've had other partners we've invested in franchises too. So kind of seen both sides of it and uh, you know, and where I spend most of my time because we have good people running our franchises for us, allows me to spend my time working with others, helping them to understand this world of opportunities that many are attracted to once they learn about it. So Look forward to kind of digging into that with you now. Yeah, excellent. Did you, uh, so you mentioned you were also a franchisee. Did you do that at the same time going through a shelf genie or did that come after? That came after. Okay. Any, was there any bug or inkling while you were there to say like, hey, I want to be on the other side? You know, once I woke up to the model of franchising, which, you know, I'd always associate the F word franchise with fast food, which I think a lot of people do. And that's why our new book that's coming out in a couple of months is called Non-Food Franchising, because it does raise eyebrows and gets people questioning, what are those other industries that we can invest into? So, no, during my time at Shelf Genie, I mean, I was keeping my, trying to keep my head above water, supporting owners or children all across North America with the expectations of us trying to keep them happy and playing nice and uh you know, really setting them up for success. But, you know, but for me, that was a very eye-opening experience to the power of business ownership through franchising. And, you know, the, the fact that you can step in with, you know, product market fit day one, you know, that prop, path to profitability is just all about the executing. You've got a coach on the sidelines, that franchise, or you've got other franchisees, you know, that are sharing best practices. And, you know, also learn that you can make good money upon an exit. And, and I think you would find this interesting. You may know it already, but, you know, there have been some studies done that show not only is it a higher success rate, you know, franchises, 85% still in business after five years, but but upon an exit, you get a, on average about a one and a half multiple of a non-franchised like-kind industry business. And so, you know, a lot of people don't quite realize that um, until they look at the stats. So when you were going through, right, and uh, probably at Shelf Genie a little bit after, and you reached just that point of profitability, right? Didn't have to worry about food over the, food on the table, roof over the head. What was your strategic framework of where you were investing, right? It sounds like, you know, that bug to be a franchisee hadn't hit yet. And so kind of how were you thinking about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, 
where I am now versus where I was then isn't too different. I'd say I've leaned more into the business ownership, the alternative investment world. You know, my financial advisor you know, has me allocated across a diverse portfolio of uh, public securities. But even I, I see them moving more and more into the alternative universe. And you know, being a member of the entrepreneurs organization and other groups, I get exposure to a lot of private opportunities. So um, you know, I'd say that as you look over time at the evolution of, you know, we, we've always done a little bit of real estate on the side. You know, more recently, we've done a little bit of crypto. I mean, it's not looking great right now, but we're dollar cost averaging, you know, continuing with that pattern. Um, you know, I haven't invested in baseball cards in many years, but no, I'd say, you know, a lot of private lending, you know, where it's collateral backed, whether it be real estate lending, you know, we, I, I'm investing in a few different funds or whether it be consumer based lending. Um, and so I'm always, we'll do a little bit of angel investing here and there but that's never going to be a very large piece of my portfolio with non-franchised angels uh, just because the risk profile is a little too high. What did you start with in terms of those investments as you were kind of getting going and what did that path look like as you were kind of building your house of investments? Yeah. So definitely started with the bedrock of the public securities, knowing there's a long-term horizon and you know, having a well-diversified S and P based you know, type portfolio um, I'd entered into you know business ownership with you know the baggage from the corporate world, which includes some golden handcuffs I you know had to break, but you know where I had some stock options and had exercised all those and in the vesting, um, you know from the from the when I worked for a large public company. But yeah, you know, so I'd say that was the bedrock, and you know, I kind of got lucky in holding on to a couple of properties that we lived in and then rent it out. And so became a real estate investor. I've never gone as deep there as, as some have, but, you know, most I've had a couple of pieces of raw land and a few real, you know, rental uh, properties. And, but we've been very fortunate on our homes. Um, my wife's an interior designer and we've built homes that have appreciated very well over time. And that's created some you know, non-taxable hard assets that we can then leverage up and, you know, right now, a couple of the hacks that I am employing personally, obviously, you know, we built our home and then I took out a mortgage after the fact at 3.25%, which you know, now sounds like a deal at the time I was hoping it would be lower. Um, but we, portfolio loans are, you know, the, the securities based lending is an area that I've really been leaning into. So if you have a brokerage account outside of your retirement accounts, be able to borrow against that, you know. I stay fairly conservative, only borrow up to 50%. But right now it's at a one and a half percent interest rate that will go up over time. But if I can take that and then flip it into real estate lending, that's, that's relatively safe collateral backed at 12%. I mean, that's the definition of arbitrage right there. So that's one of my latest little hacks that I stumbled upon. Nice. And when did kind of the investing in franchisees come for you? It really came after my experience at Shelf Genie. So long story short, ended up partnering with the founder. We spun off. We actually built a business uh, to a couple of million that I, that I was running that was marketing agency and a call center kind of combined. We make the phones ring, then we answer them for franchisees. And so we started offering that to different franchise systems. We did this for about a year and a half. We had a lot of growth, got up to about 40 employees, but it wasn't really profitable. Everybody liked the idea, but they weren't willing to pay for the customization behind it. And so lesson learned to me, again, this was, there wasn't product market fit from a profitability standpoint. I learned the hard way. And so ultimately how to pull the plug and, and wind it down. So it didn't have a big sexy exit. Fortunately, didn't lose much money, but um, you know, a lot of lessons learned. 
that I took with me and said, hey, in my next business ownership ventures, I want a proven model. And that's kind of where, you know, fell back into franchising. And how did you, uh, you talked a little bit about the multiple and the non-food side, but uh, how did you fall, you know, squarely in the non-food franchise versus the food franchise? And, you know, how'd you get there? Yeah, so my background isn't in food. And what I've since found is 95% of my clients don't want anything to do with food. And I'm very thankful for the 5% to do. And God bless them. We need we need those establishments. Um, but my belief, it really at the basis, at basic level is, there are easier ways to make money, you know, that require less of a cap, less capital output in the beginning, maybe a little less risk, a little less trendy from a preference or a like standpoint or brand standpoint. Now, I think Jimmy John's at Subway, you know, there are ones out there that are household names, but you also have a lot of food upstarts that I think it's going to be a tough road for them because you're deploying the capital. You've got a large team of hourly employees. You may be open 24-7 or something, somewhere close to that. That's, for me, that's just not my thing and what I found is most of my clients like these other industries where we play it's home and property services has been a huge hit the last couple of years all the niches within that 600 billion dollar market you know home you know health and wellness fitness automotive anything related to kids pets the aging population you know people are always going to spend money on their health their homes or kids their pets um you know and then there are a lot of just hybrid models I mean non-sexy is the new sexy when it comes to business ownership. You know, I've got clients buying into, we just had a Wall Street attorney outside of Boston buying a gutter business. You know, no background in that space. You know, I've had clients buy roll-off dumpsters, different businesses in the waste management space. Um, you know, that, that's that's where the interest is right now. It's those non-sexy industries, insulation or, um, you know, or drug testing, you know, B2B drug testing for companies that, you know, has some unique about the, about the business. So um, a lot of proprietary elements in these different types of businesses. And that's where we see people most interested. So that's kind of a long-winded answer to your question. Why focus outside of food? How do you see that model competing with the search fund model? Uh, is there a direct correlation or is it, uh, you know, search fund mostly buying non-franchise business where, you know, your client's looking at a franchise play? Yeah, great question. And, you know, a couple of thoughts there. We do get private equity firms reaching out to us every few days saying, hey, John, what are you seeing in the market from a franchise standpoint? Because they're scooping up franchise orders right and left. They love the franchise model for all the same reasons that, that we do. Um, and so you see a lot of activity every now and then they'll come at the franchisee level and scoop them up. So what you do see a lot of a little context in the U S alone, you have about 4,000 franchise brands. You take out the food and in lodging, we don't really work with hotels either. You take those out. That's probably about half of the brands. The other half consists largely of a lot of emerging franchisors that will go from five locations to 250 in an 18 month period. I mean, I've got case study after case study where that's happened. Um, so that's where you see the growth right now. And so a lot of times, um, you know, outside of franchising, they'll come in, they'll purchase a company, love the model, and then franchise it as a way to scale it. So we do see a lot of activity on that front. So there's a little bit of overlap there. Um, I work with a lot of clients that have been looking at resales, that have been looking for deals out there. And you know, once you pull back the covers, most of those deals aren't, aren't as attractive as they initially seem. They say, wait a minute. Rather not pay a multiple, step into a franchise, you know, be able to put my thumbprints on it. And, uh, you know, and, and like we talked about, I mean, a lot of your listeners 
would go with the model of what we call executive or semi-absentee, where you're putting a general manager in to run the day-to-day operations and um, you know, maybe coaching them from the sidelines. It's a comfort to them to know they're not the only ones looking out for that general manager. You also have the franchisor and their support team you know, supporting that individual as well. Yeah. So can you, what is that thought process like, right? You mentioned that an attorney is buying a business. He's got no knowledge of like, how is he able to effectively run that and, you know, be profitable? How involved does he need to be? Yeah. So the one that he purchased, you know, all in investment was probably around 200,000. They're averaging 1.8 million per location across the nation and at 30% EBITDA or bottom line margin. So call it 500 and change. In his case, he's going to start out, get his hands dirty, build up the business, and then turn it over to a general manager. I've got many clients that day one will you know, hire someone to run the business for them. I'm invested in a driveway franchise, the driveway company, great little business. I've got a 27-year-old former CPA running that for me, and he's killing it, absolutely growing the heck out of that thing. Um, and so, it, again, that semi-absentee model is very effective and it's very, very common. At least half my clients don't want to run the day-to-day operations. Um, but the, the thought pattern there is come in with an eyes wide open mentality. You know, a lot of my clients are industry agnostic. They say, hey, give me the opportunities with the highest ROI, maybe the fewest number of employees. Or, you know, here's some things I've always liked or not liked. And we kind of dig into that. Um, but the idea is, you know, to stay open-minded because close to 90% of our clients end up in an opportunity in an industry they hadn't previously considered. So once they put that business owner hat on, it's just a whole new framework and lens through which they look at it. Are most of the franchises that you work with essentially service-based, I would imagine? Quite a few are. And I'd say coming out of COVID, there's been a little more of a you know, desire to, to move away from some of the customer facing retail storefronts. Granted, some of those could still be classified as services businesses, but we've had a lot of people say, Hey, I, I'd rather have something that's remote work. Um, you know, some prefer B2B, some prefer B2C. Um, but you know, a lot of service-based businesses, we do have some that, that are productized uh, as well, but I'd say service space is definitely where most people have been leaning. Because they want to be Amazon resistant. They, they don't want something that could potentially be sold on, on Amazon. And right. you know, a lot of these businesses have a product component to it, but it's not the core of the business. Hmm. So how do you prevent someone from you know, lifting essentially what the model looks like of the franchise and creating their own competitor you know, in the same, same area, same space, et cetera? Yeah. You know, most of these businesses aren't immune from competition. I'd say some of the things they have going for it, Oftentimes, it's bringing a white-collar approach to a blue-collar industry, and so you're able to come in there day one with your marketing. And um, you know, in some cases, you do have proprietary elements, uh, not just to the training, but to what you're actually offering to the customer. And we have a few businesses that are actually patented um, that have IP uh, to that degree uh, beyond the trademarks. Um, but it's coming in. I mean, think about service providers just as an example. You know, wouldn't it be nice if you had a call center supporting you on the back end that's sitting there all day ready to answer the phone and with your branding? And, you know, I mean, we all know what our experiences are out there in the market. Um, it, you know, if you're going out there with an iPad and making quotes, you know, for, for a job versus, you know, a guy that won't even call you back and maybe shows up in a pickup truck, you know, without any branding or anything. It's just, I think coming out of COVID, there's a trust thing as well that people trust brands. They trust 
those that have a national presence that have been somewhat vetted and trained, I, I think there's a strong leaning in that direction. So, um, you yeah, know, but again, a lot of these businesses are not totally immune, but w- the ones that I work with for my clients and we really focus on are those that do have either some barriers to entry or just kind of a unique niche in which they operate. Now, I mentioned the insulation. That's a business where they do produce their own proprietary product and you know, they're all the nerd out talking points as to why it's better than, than everyone else's. Um, you know, we've seen Harvard MBAs buying an insulation business. They love the financials behind it once they put their business owner hat on. What's the most exciting kind of business opportunity that you're seeing today? Yeah, gosh, I mean, that, that's a loaded question. I, I get excited about a lot of these. I, mean, I can just give a few examples. I I just had a client, mid-40s uh, pharmacist. He started up FedEx routing business on the side a couple of years back, built up 25 trucks. He came to us and said, hey, let's look at property services franchises. You know, I, want some, I want to diversify more, my portfolio. We looked at a lot of them together. He ended up buying one that was a one-stop uh, garage renovation business. Um, we just had a client who was, a, who was up in upstate New York. We just had a client, she's a PhD with the University of Arkansas. She came and said, hey, I want to keep my day job, but I want to get something going on the side. You know, with her, we introduced her to a fitness concept that's a small box, caters to those 55 and above who are largely uncatered to in the fitness world that don't like the big box gym, incredible technology through the business. Uh, and she, she's off to the races. Slow uh, zone? I'm sorry? Slow zone? No, the exercise coach. Okay. Yeah, only large national one you know, with any sort of presence that caters to that uh, size. You know, I think of a client of mine, Nathan Bocock. Uh, Nathan is the largest franchisee of two men in a truck moving service. Operates in about 10 markets, $30 million a year business. And he came to us a few years ago and said, hey, you know, I want to get into you know, something totally unrelated to what we're doing now. So we introduced him to a home services brand. He you know, has come back, put a young GM in place. He's come back, bought an additional locations since then. Same thing. We got him into a waste management type company. Again, he never went on a job site, never touched the business, but it's just cash flowing for him with some coaching on the sidelines. And so it comes down to having a good person. I mean, you can have a great system. You still have to have a good operator. And so I'd say that's where the rubber meets the road of, you know, finding someone that you can trust to run that day to day, setting up the incentives and the alignment um, so that you can play the role that you want to play without having to get too involved. Do you work on the opposite direction as well, right? So say we've got a listener who's got a home renovation business or a moving business and they're in one city, they're doing well, they've got established systems, marketing, and they want to franchise that out elsewhere. Is that an opportunity for people? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, you know, I have those conversations on a regular basis. We don't personally take companies through the franchising process, but I am always happy to have those conversations and share, hey, Here's how I see the pros and cons stacking up and whether your business is franchisable and whether it makes sense and what you, you, what you may need to do to get it ready. And I've got a great partner that does help us take companies through the process and does a really nice job. So, you know, we just had a multi-unit chiropractic clinic that we helped go through the franchising process. Uh, we just had a flooring company that we helped uh, through that. We've got a yoga studio right now we're working with that's going through the franchising process. So, no, I, I think a lot of companies are realizing there are multiple ways to scale, but if I could use other people's money with someone that has skin in the games, they're an actual owner, not just acting like an owner. They know their local market. Um, 
you know, and I get in all the financials around why it could make sense. And it's not right for every business, but for a lot of businesses, it does make sense. And again, you're working towards an exit down the road that you'll likely get a higher value to on the franchisor side as well. Um, just given the appetite in the market from private equity firms. As we're nearing the end of time here, John, what if, if you wanted to leave one thing with the audience uh, in terms of how they're thinking about, you know, where to invest next or what to, uh, you know, considerations or, you know, where to go, what would you recommend for them? Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, start thinking about areas of interest or areas of market need around you. And if you are a current business owner, you know, we just had a real estate broker, uh, you know, that we introduced to a property management franchise. He was looking to bolt on something complementary to his core business. Um, in some cases, it's totally diversifying. So there are different strategies. And, you know, we certainly have case studies that we can share with people. But, you know, as far as the next step, I'd say come out to our website, frambridgeconsulting.com, which I'm sure will be in the show notes. Uh, sign up for our newsletter. We try to put out great content every month. And, uh, you know, if you sign up for the newsletter for all of your listeners, we'll also send you a copy of our uh, book called Non-Food Franchising, which comes out in about two to three months. So really excited about that. Uh, but follow us on LinkedIn as well. Uh, we share a lot of content out there. And more than happy to connect entirely no cost to work with us. We're funded by the franchise brand. So, um, and none of that gets passed on in any way to our clients. So a yeah, great model and we'd love to connect. That's awesome. Makes it easy for you, right? Uh, just awesome. go add value. So Absolutely. That's awesome. Appreciate your time today, John, and uh, all your insights. Enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today on The Prosperity Perspective. If you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, please head over to theprosperityperspective.com, where you can hear from other successful business owners on their approach to investments. On our website, you'll be able to learn more about how DML Capital currently helps other business owners, like yourself, diversify their investments and grow their wealth. Take our short quiz to see if you're ready to take the next steps toward your financial success. 